just signed you with stone. When you do a, a, a series on spiritual gifts, sooner or later, you got to get to speaking in tongues. Y'all ready? All right. So here's my, here's kind of how we're starting my sermon title, Speaking in Tongues and Interpretation of Tongues, an Examination of Relevant Biblical Passages. So we're not going to read a whole lot of books. I'm not going to quote a whole lot of books. There's a lot of books. I've got a lot of books on this topic. But our source is going to be the Word of God. Okay, we're going to look at relevant passages. And as a way of introduction, I just want to begin by saying three things, just kind of right off the bat. Uh, Four things. Number one, God loves His church. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might, be, might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. Jesus loves his church. That's why he gives gifts to his church. It's his love. In love, he gives gifts to the church. So our study... On spiritual gifts is about Jesus who loves his bride and gives gifts to her. Uh, secondly, God builds his church. He builds his church. Matthew 16, 18, when, remember when Peter first confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and Jesus replied to that response. He said, Peter, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words... The church is more powerful and permanent than Satan's attempts to destroy. Satan's attempts will collapse. I will build my church. He loves the church. He builds the church. He sends his church. God sends his church. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So he loves his church. He builds his church and he sends his church in the authority and the name of Jesus Christ. We go out. And then the fourth thing, as we're just beginning this morning, he gifts his church. He gifts. He gives gifts. He gifts his church. Wonderful gifts. Powerful gifts. Blessed gifts. Refreshing gifts. Energizing gifts. Encouraging wisdom, knowledge. All these gifts. He gifts his church. Romans 12, 5 to 6, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So though many we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts, gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of kindness with cheerfulness. He gives gifts. We are in the process of considering a long list of spiritual gifts that are mentioned and presented in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, even more especially after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, or what we might call post-resurrection, 
And then emphatically beginning at the day of Pentecost following the centuries earlier prophesied event of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit recorded in Acts 2. So the giving of the church was like a great momentum moving towards Pentecost when an explosion of giftedness and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's no way you can write as fast as I'm going to talk. So I'm going to mention these, but you'll just hear them. Just just hear them. Eventually, when I get to this end, I'm going to have a list again. And I'm kind of rewriting some of the ones. We gave a list out a while back, but I'm, I'm rethinking rewriting and trying to redefine simple definitions of all the gifts. So we'll get there before we get to the end. I'm going to redo that sheet I handed out because I, I think we can um, improve on it a little bit. So, but here's the gifts. These are, these are the kind of, this is what Jesus does for his church. I want you to listen to this. Listen to all the gifts that are operative in the church of Jesus Christ. Administration, apostleship, celibacy, deliverance, discernment, encouragement, exhortation, evangelism, faith, giving, healing, helping, serving, hospitality, intercession, interpretation, knowledge, leadership, mercy, miracles, missions, pastoring, prophecy, teaching, tongues, wisdom, worship. Whoo! That's some Christmas tree. That's some Christmas tree that gifts under it. Okay? So here's my theme for this morning. This it won't take me but one, two, three, four, five words to stir the pot. I just need five words. And some of the people like going, oh my goodness, how did we pick this Sunday to come to church? <laughs> and some of you are like going, I need you to say this. So let's just say we might not be all be on the same page, but by the grace of God, we'll get on the same page, right? If the Holy Spirit's working in us, we'll get on the same page. But let me just give you five words. Speaking in tongues still happens. Okay, that's my five words. That just stirs some people up or out. (laughs) Speaking in tongues still happens. In reading and in studying the Bible, there is an expectation in reading and studying the Bible There's an expectation that speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues are gifts that were experienced in the early church by some, but not by all. I don't think that's debatable. If anyone that reads the Bible, they know that this was in the early church and that in the early church it was experienced by some with this gift, not by all. And taking the Bible alone is our guide, not endless books or commentaries, not people's personal church experiences where people say, well, we never did that in my church. I'm not, that's not our basis today. Our basis is not what you did in your church. Our basis is we're trying to read and understand the Word of God. But standing upon what we call sola scriptura, scripture alone, There is reason to expect that speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues are spiritual gifts that would be experienced in our church. 
by some, although not by all. In the Bible, we see it was experienced by some, not by all. And I think it's reasonable if I only take the Bible as my guidebook to expect that by some in our church. Okay, so we're going to look at, um, I think I have nine passages, and we're going to see if we can do this. The first one is Mark, passage number one is Mark 16. Mark 16, 15 to 18. So before I read that passage, there's no record of Jesus speaking in tongues. It was not part of his ministry as far as we know. But there is one instance of Jesus declaring this phenomenon of speaking in tongues, that speaking in tongues would be among the wonders and signs of his church. Mark 16, 17, it says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues. So this description of the church of Jesus, interestingly, is attached to and even embedded in the Great Commission. Mark, through Peter, most people believe that Mark wrote and received the gospel when he spent time with Peter. So occasionally, sometimes you might hear someone say that Mark is Peter's gospel, which I think is completely legit. Um, so here's... Uh, There it's embedded in the Great Commission. So the description of the Great Commission is telling us that there is what Jesus told them, likely during his 40 years after the resurrection, as he was preparing and commissioning them to go make disciples in in all nations. So it appears that Jesus, from Mark 16, you can read that and say, well, it seems like Jesus was telling the disciples what to expect. And here's what he said. Now we're getting the context of the verse I read a minute ago. Mark 16, beginning with verse 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and they will drink any deadly Poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So the basic idea is some incredible things are going to happen in the church of Jesus Christ. Passage number two is Acts 2. I think Acts 2 is the supernova of the Holy Spirit that included extremely loud occurrence like a powerful wind and a mighty storm. It included a visible descent of something, um, some kind of spiritual puff or images or substance that looked like tongues of fire resting upon believers who began to do something never before recorded. And the people upon whom these tongues rested began to speak in languages that they had never before learned and did not even understand as they uttered the gospel in multiple languages. So let me take a read here. In Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there was from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house while they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on them, something that looked like a tongue on fire, rested upon the believers that were gathered there. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Like Jews who lived in many different countries had come to Pentecost and to the feast of Pentecost because they wanted to hear this great... um, They wanted to be there for the great day of Pentecost. And it says that they were gathered... Um, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this point, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So the gospel was being preached in the language of the messenger and the people were hearing it in their native language from where they came from. Every single one of them was hearing it if someone was speaking fluently in their native tongue. And it says they were amazed and astonished, saying, are, are not all these speaking Galileans? Like, these guys don't know all of our languages. How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mock, saying they are filled with new wines. Some people are like, wow, work of God. And other people are going, "They're, they're drunk. Here are some observations. The Holy Spirit Spirit did this, not men. Number two, they spoke in tongues. People spoke the gospel in foreign languages they had never before learned to all the language groups represented in such a way that the nations heard the gospel in their native languages all simultaneously. simultaneously. The result was astounding. A large number of people heard the gospel. A large number of people believed the gospel. A large number of people received the gospel. A large number of people were baptized, if you keep reading Acts 2. And a large number of people were added to the church of Jesus that day. So, when the Holy Spirit is working, these are the kinds of results you get. When people experience the mighty works of God, there will be conversions, church growth, discipleship, and much praise to God. So, in summary, on Acts chapter 2... By the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues where the speaker spoke a language he did not know to people who heard the gospel in a language they did not know, that they did know, and God was greatly honored and worshiped to God powerfully lifted up. So the Acts example seems to be these guys were given, these people, the evangelists or those communicating were given ability to speak a language that they didn't know and never learned. And didn't know it afterwards. It was a divine utterance given to them so that the people who were not believers would hear and they were powerfully impacted. Okay, let's look at passage number three, Acts 10. In Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to Caesarea to preach the gospel to Gentiles and to the family of an important soldier named Cornelius. And Peter was reluctant to go because it was a crowd of Gentiles. God had Peter... God gave Peter a vision of previously unclean animals and told him to go to Gentiles. Peter went and obeyed God and preached the gospel to them and they believed in Jesus. Now let's take a look here at Acts chapter 10. 
I'm at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, like Jewish believers who'd come with Peter, were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out, even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them, they were hearing the Gentiles speaking in tongues and extolling God. They didn't know what to make of it. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And as he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, they were asked, they asked him to remain for some days. So this was something new. The Pentecost was something new. The Spirit of God being poured out and, and uh, inaugurating the new covenant. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and his promise to send the Holy Spirit. So here's some interesting facts about Acts 10. Peter preached the gospel, and this time there was no language barrier. They heard Peter preach in the language that Peter preached, and they were amazed at the gospel. So Peter, the gospel presenter, the gospel communicator, was not speaking in tongues. Peter was not speaking in tongues that day. Peter and the evangelist spoke in tongues in Acts 2. But Peter the evangelist is not speaking in tongues in Acts 10. They heard Peter preach as he preached in the language that he was preaching. A second observation. Towards the end of Peter's evangelistic presentation, the Spirit of God dropped in. It says the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So they were hearing, and in the preaching of God's word, the Spirit of God came in. Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And then the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out, even on the Gentiles. It's like a point of emphasis. Something new. Acts 2, something new. Acts 10, something new. The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. And this time, it is the Gentiles who are speaking in tongues. The Gentiles were speaking in tongues, a language unknown to them, and it instantly reminded them, the disciples, of what happened at Pentecost. What was happening? They're like going, hey, guys, this totally reminds us. This speaking in tongues reminds us of what happened at Pentecost. And they made a direct connection between the two events as the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And here's what's critical. They did this after hearing the gospel, not in order to hear the gospel. In Acts chapter 2, their speaking in tongues was in order for the unbeliever to hear the gospel. In Acts chapter 10, the unbeliever heard the gospel and in response to the gospel, they began Speaking in tongues. It's an after. It's a, it's, there's many similarities between these two passages, but you need to pick up on the dissimilarities or the differences. So let me state that statement again because this is important. This was not the disciples speaking in tongues in order for others to hear the gospel. This was the Gentiles speaking in tongues in order for the disciples to hear and see what God was doing. And point number six, or emphasis, another emphasis, the language was not a barrier. 
Therefore, the speaking of tongues was not to display the hearing of the gospel, but to display the power of the gospel being believed by Gentiles. It was the Holy Spirit showing off. It was the Holy Spirit saying, I love these Gentiles. Okay. The disciples, notice to this, the disciples, this is another important distinction. The disciples did not say, we heard them speak to us in a language they did not know in a language we know. They didn't respond the same way. They didn't go, remember in Acts chapter 2, they said, wow, what's going on? We heard them speak the gospel in our own language. There's no such comment. There is no evidence or statement that Peter and the Jews understood the language they spoke in tongues, but only that they spoke in tongues. The emphasis was not on what they spoke, but that the Spirit gave them a supernatural utterance that proved that the Spirit had spoken. You see the similarity, but the difference? Okay. Let me summarize Acts 10. This was not an exact repeat of Acts 2. It is similar in that it included the preaching of the gospel, the pouring down of the Holy Spirit, belief in the gospel and conversions, and speaking in tongues. It is different, however, in that it was the Gentiles believing in the gospel. It was the brand new converts speaking in tongues. There was not a language barrier. The speaking in tongues is not to cross the language barrier to prove that God was cross. The speaking in tongues was not to cross the language barrier, but it was to cross the ethnic barrier. The gospel was going out into new ethnicities, into new tribes and languages. When it went out before, it went out to Jews who were living in foreign places. Now it's going out to Gentiles. And Gentiles were speaking in tongues. Gentiles were receiving the Holy Spirit. Gentiles are included in Christ's church. How many of you are Gentiles? I am. Most of you Gentiles. It's because the Spirit of God was poured out to us. Gentiles were given a language by God and no one could doubt that what was happening. Men did not think this up or work this up. God thought this up and rained it down. God was on the move and God was about to explode the gospel farther than ever before. Jews had believed already in Jerusalem. They were believing in Judea. They were believing in Sumeria. But now the Holy Spirit was about to propel the gospel with rocket fuel to the nations. And he was working signs and wonders to prove it. Okay, passage number four is Acts 19. In verse 44 to 48, we read, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth. Now, we're, now Paul's involved. It was Peter. Now Paul. Paul's a new convert. Paul is involved now. And it says, Here did uh, what happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. So Paul found some believers. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And that is, they were a bit behind. 
And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. And Jesus said, John's baptized with baptism of the repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come. That is in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. They had been baptized in the name of John. Now they wanted to be baptized in the name of Jesus. They were so excited. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid hands on them. And the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all, and when Peter laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. He says it again. So here's a summary. Paul came upon believers that had not yet heard about or understood the importance of the resurrection and Pentecost. And they were still operating under Old Testament blessings and not yet enjoying the vastly superior New Testament blessings. So Paul was so excited to bless them with new knowledge and new power and a new experience in the Holy Spirit. And so he wants them to know the fullness of new of the new covenant. And he wants them to enjoy the Holy Spirit and receive his bountiful gifts. And so he prayed for them. He lays hands on them. He does not say or declare what will happen. And the Spirit takes control. And the Spirit once again shows up and shows out. And Paul was not at Pentecost. But Paul clearly had the same theology of the Spirit at the same baptism by the Spirit and the same expectations of the Spirit as did all the apostles who were at Pentecost and all the early church. And what they were experiencing was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And if Acts makes anything clear, it is the Holy Spirit in charge of the gospel mission. And that's what we're supposed to be feeling and thinking about. As we look at spiritual gifts, it's the Holy Spirit in charge. Holy Spirit needs to be in charge of our church, folks. Sometimes we step in the way. Sometimes we want to be in charge. Sometimes we're going, I don't think we should do that. We've never done that. Well, I don't know about that. And sometimes we, we want to be in charge. And folks, I'm just going to tell you, it's not good when we're in charge. We need the Holy Spirit to be in charge. That's what we want. Every Sunday, every meeting, every time we're together, every prayer group, that's what we want is for the Holy Spirit to come. We want Him to be in charge here. We want Him to teach us. We want Him to help us understand this book. We can't rightly understand this book without Him. They were experiencing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He was in charge and it was wonderful, exciting, unpredictable. Sometimes we're so predictable. It's boring. In keeping true to Jesus' pre-resurrection promise... And prophecy to send the Spirit in John 14, the Holy Spirit is shown in the church all over the place running the show. And in keeping with Jesus' post-resurrection promise and prophecy to give the Spirit to the church in order to carry out the Great Commission. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and the Great Commission together. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You ever feel like your witnessing isn't so powerful? You ever feel like what we're trying to do sometimes just lacks power and we're out there and it's like, mm, take it or leave it. Here it is. Come to church with us if you want. Come to church with me, friend. It's good. We have a good old time. We eat some chicken, watermelon. We grill out. We go to the park. 
Folks, those are fine things to do, but when the Holy Spirit comes, they're powerful things to do. And, and that's what we're asking God to do. That's why, that's, why he's given, that's why he's gifted us. He's given us these gifts so that we might experience his presence and spirit working in our body. All these different gifts working together to promote the kingdom of God and to encourage each other and to inspire faith and acts and worship and praise. So in that Acts, that's what the whole book of Acts is recording, is the unfolding of Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8 is the catalyst or the pronouncement or the declaration of what's going to happen. And then the whole rest of Acts chapters, 28 chapters of unwrapping what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to come. And you begin to see these amazing things in the church of Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you, it wasn't boring The church gathering to worship and pray and preach the word of God and the spirit comes down and fills the people and the saints go out with power and signs and wonders and people believe and join the mission. In Acts, speaking in tongues was not weird or unwelcome or man-centered or making people freak out and afraid. When the spirit of God is at work, it's beautiful. And it builds up and edifies Christ's bride, not terrifies and unravels people's faith. So let me just say this. I haven't even gotten to Corinthians and I just kind of feel like I need to, I need to kind of, I'm either going to have to really cut short the rest of what I have to say and I don't want to do that. So we're going to come back to it next week. But let me, because we got 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. We haven't even, we got to go to the passages where, you know what 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is? 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is the only passage we have in the Bible that gives us a clear look into the worship practices of a church, New Testament church. It's our manual. There's no other passage. There's a few passages that say the people prayed together. Uh, Acts chapter 1, they met for preaching, teaching, breaking of bread, prayers. But 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 takes us into the worship setting at the church at Corinth and shows us things that aren't in any other passage in the Bible. I can't tell you how important those three chapters are. And let me reemphasize, before we get there next week, it's no... It's no uh, accident that the meat in the middle is the love chapter. It's no accident. It's the, it's the only way to go forward. If you got, think of chapter 12 and 14 as two pieces of bread and 13 is roast beef in the middle. It's the meat in the middle. If you take out the meat, folks, I just... I get so excited about a really good sandwich. What would I think if I just bit into two pieces of bread? I'd throw it down and step on it. How disappointing. And so I just want you to understand. Um, I, I want you to go ahead. You go ahead and you start looking at chapter 12 to 14. And here, here's, here's what I feel. And you tell me, I think some of you are with me. I feel that as a church, I feel like God wants to reside and visit us in a deeper way. Are, are you okay with that? 
If not, there's some other places I can send you. There's plenty of other churches that aren't interested in that. There's plenty of places that just want polite, feel good, comfortable. Don't rub the culture. Just come and get your little ointment and walk out and then do whatever you want to. But where Jesus is in charge and where the Holy Spirit works, it's going to get uncomfortable at times, but it's always going to be exciting. Okay? And I just feel like sometimes we walk in and leave with no change. And that ain't supposed to happen. We're supposed to change when we come into the presence of God. It's supposed to change the way we worship. It's supposed to change the way we talk about Jesus. It's supposed to change the way we experience the Christian life and the things we see and the things we feel in our hearts. I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot of biblical expressions of faith in God that we don't experience in our church very much. The joy of the Lord, weeping, repenting, bold witnessing, testifying. And I think, I think that's what we want. I think that's what God's doing. I think that's why God, when we got to this passage, I think the Lord was, when we got going, running, running through Corinthians, and I guess we were running too fast. Some people were saying we're already going slow, and then we came to a turtle's crawl. But I think he's like, stop here before you go any further. And let me gift my church. And don't be afraid of my gifts. You know what scares me a lot more than someone speaking in tongues? Is someone preaching without the Spirit of God. I'll tell you what scares me a lot more than what some people think of as the extraordinary or supernatural gifts. It's using any gift for man's purpose, for man's attention. Self-centered Activity, proclaiming, pretending to be the work of God is scary. Pretending. That grieves the Spirit of God. And can, can I let you know, just in case you're wondering how much is... So let me just answer this one last thought and question. Someone goes, well, how, how, mu- how much is our church going to change? What's he talking about? Well, first of all, let me say, I sure hope you want our church to change. But also let me say, some of you may not be aware that these spiritual gifts are operative in our church right now. This isn't new to us, it'd just be new to some of us. Okay, these things aren't new to us. Speaking in tongues, you might not know, speaking in tongues happens in our church regularly. Did you, did you know that? Some of you know that, but some of you are like going, no way. I'm like, yeah, way. But here's what we want. I just, I'm not looking. I don't have a, I don't look at this list and go, Lord, we need more 7, 8, 12, and 19. I just say, I look at this list and say, Lord, we need more of you. And I don't trust anyone else to be in charge of the dispersion of gifts. Only you, God. Only you know. Only you can lead us. And when we get in the way, when man gets in the way, then it grieves the Spirit of God. And so we can grieve God by rejecting certain gifts that He's given or by misusing gifts that He gives. 
So we'll come back to this next week. And um, I don't know, if you have questions or something, feel free to text me, email me, say, what about this, what about this? And I'll probably say, I don't know, ask ask God on some of it. Some of it, I'll just say, I don't know. I don't know. I just want the Spirit of God to lead us. I want to read my Bible and come to it with confidence. And when I read my Bible, there's some things. I, I, I can't tell you how long I was a Christian, and I never heard anyone talk to me about any of these things. Years. I went through seminary. I trained for the ministry. And no one helped me understand these passages. And they just simply, well, those things don't do anymore. Spirit of God doesn't do that anymore. We're, we're, we've matured past that phase. And there just came a point in my Christian experience when I just said, I don't believe that anymore. I can't dismiss that anymore. I just want what you have, God. Are you with me? Can we just pray? If you're like scared about any of this stuff, can I just say, let's just pray. God, help us, lead us. You lead us. I just think you'll be excited if God's leading and you'll, be, you'll have reason to leave any church if God's not leading. We just want God to lead us. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these things that we've talked about. And we just pray. We just want to hear you and we we want to have you with us, God. And so even right now as we're singing, can we just turn all of our worries and fears over to you? Whatever it is in your life you just need right now. Don't, Don't get hung up on this sermon. Just say, Lord, I want you and all that you have for me. Just begin praying that way. I want it right now, God. And as we sing, I just pray that you would be calling upon God in your heart. And let the words just of the song just roll over you, just fall, fall over you. Just sing these songs in your heart and turn this last song into a praise up to God. And just simply say, Lord, I trust you. And I want you to lead me. Lead our church, oh Christ. Holy Spirit, lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.